Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the Just Shiatsu podcast. As always, I am your host, Justin Zielinski, and today I wanted to talk about the sections of the body and how touching certain sections seems to affect certain aspects of movements in the body. Now, this whole project for me started because I always have questions regarding why is this medicine working, because sometimes it doesn't make logical sense to me how all these things come together and work. And in some regards, I've just gotten okay with that and just relying on the historical references and you know other people's work to just make sense of it without actually having uh, an, an analytical examination to go with it. But nonetheless, I still want to try and figure these out because I figure if I can figure out the principles behind everything, then I can make the work more effective other than just relying on using hand-me-downs. Uh, to me, this is the same as the expression, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day, teach him how to fish and he'll eat forever. So if I just follow like a reference point that somebody else gave me, to me, that's the same as receiving the fish. So I'm often examining this these theories and ideas in different ways so that maybe I can learn how to fish instead of just using a, a reference. So this whole thing I've been working on was I wanted to go through the point system and see if there was any correlation between certain sections of the body and points. I have gone through the points before in a way where I looked at each channel and went along each point and tried to make sense of the system that way. And I can say from my experience in that study, I just ended up with a bunch of random information about different points on the body and channels that didn't seem to coincide with, let's say, the organ function. Like every spot on the large intestine didn't affect the large intestine. Or every spot on lung didn't affect lung. right? And that was very confusing to me. And this idea came about in my studies on reading some of the chapters of the Ling Shu, where they talked about these five points that sit below the elbow or below the knee, basically. And instead of reference to the channel and the organ that they function, it was the name of the points. So the points all at the end of the fingers, the points all around the wrist, let's say, the points all in the middle of the forearm, right? There was specific locations to these points. And there was no designation to like how they individually worked with the organ instead it was more about the sections they were in of the body and this started to arouse this idea that I wanted to study so that question I guess really would be where did I come up with the information for how the points are working and what source I pulled those from so I used oh, it's the title of the book is a manual of acupuncture and it's often referred to as the deadman in most circles because the author of the or one of the authors of the book is Peter Dedman. This is a, actually a really interesting book because it looks as if they had gone through a lot of the classical writings and tried to reference all the points and their uses throughout time in these these materials they used. One thing that's important to note about the points is that they do morph throughout time. So in the classics some of the reasons you would use a point got changed over time. I can give you an example from a book I was just reading the other day where they were talking about the, the low points. 
And modern theory in the low point says if you access the low point on the lung, it will transfer energy to the large intestine. Or if you access a low point on large intestine, it will transfer chi to the, the lung. This is a modern theory. And from my understanding, it was developed like probably around a thousand years later from when these points were actually described as ways to be used. And they were not used in that way. So that's just an example of like how point theory over time changes. And that's just important to understand because sometimes some of the descriptions for points or why practitioners are using them have differed over the years. You know, you'll run across a lot of authors who will recommend six points that just do everything and there's no reason to use other points because they can literally change everything. And in my studies, I have run across some points that do seem like they, historically, the references appear to do just about everything in the body. And I'll bring some highlight to those specific points just so that if you're interested, you can continue your studies further to look into that. So when I looked at all these points, there was something I was looking for. So I did cycle through the information with a little bit of bias, right? I was looking for commonalities and sections of the body and these points. What were they doing that they could all relate to each other? So there are some things that these points do or these sections of the body might do that are outside of what I'm describing. So I just want to make that clear that this is not a definitive way to use the points or, or think about them. It was just a reference I wanted to see for myself to see if there was some correlation I could make so that we could use this information to help people. So there's just a couple of things I want to mention before I start really getting into the sections is there are other systems in the body to think about or use. And there's even more than I'm going to mention. I, uh, Chinese medicine is very diverse and has a long history of people using things. So there's many, many ways to use theory in Chinese medicine. In fact, there's a, a style called five elemental acupuncture that uses five points from the elbow to the hand and five points from the knee to the foot and can use those specific five points on each channel to balance all the rest of the body, right? And that goes way beyond what I'm going to talk about here. This is a totally, that's a totally different theoretical approach to how to use the medicine. But I also wanted to just briefly mention some of the other systems that I, I have spent some time looking into. So we have the inner or outer dynamics, which would be the channels and organs, right? It's a little different than this point system I'm going to look at. And then again, we have the channels as paired above and below, which I often will reference as like time movements because the more I research and think about these things for myself, I see reflections of proper movements of time. If you're working in the field, it's interesting to try and take all these factors into account when you're working, but it can be hard to mix them all together. But today I want to focus on just specifically areas of the body and the commonalities that you that are shown through the point system to affect areas. And I hope this can be a benefit to everybody. This doesn't just this doesn't have to just be used by professionals. If you're at home and you have loved ones who are suffering from some of these ailments, you know, massaging these areas of the body gently could have some interesting effects that might help them. One thing I want to bring attention to before we start talking about it though is we always need to remember that with Chinese medicine we're stimulating movement in the body. So everything we touch is about stimulating movement. 
or in a more Chinese way to say it, you're stimulating the yang qi, right? So when I talk about the areas we're touching, you're more interested in generating movement in the body. We don't actually influence the yin aspects of the body. The yin is always influenced by the yang. And if that doesn't make sense, don't worry about it. It's not super important. So I'm going to start with the limbs first, and then we'll move into the center of the body. So I'm going to start at the bottom of the body with the feet. So when we touch these more distal areas of the channel system, because the channels run usually from feet to head, head to hand, we are starting to affect the further areas of the channel. So this is a very common theme in Chinese medicine is the working distal points will affect the distal areas. So for example, like in the bladder channel, the bladder runs all the way up to the top of the head. So by touching the pinky toe, sometimes you can have a strong effect on say a headache in the back of the head, right? This is the distal area of the channel. This does require a little bit more of channel knowledge to really get into wanting to affect specific areas of the body. But in general, if you're stimulating the feet, you're gonna be pulling chi down. So when people feel like they have a lot of energetic or fullness in their upper body, the feet are nice to bring that energetic movement down. Or as they would say in the classical text, using the below to treat the above. So this has general calming effect on people because the idea of a lot of energetic movement upward tends to affect the heart and mind. So those are when people feel frantic, stressed, right? So using the feet pulls that energetic movement away from those areas, which can then calm the body and mind. So there are some specific areas that each channel works with. And I'll just quickly just reference some of those. So the liver channel ends right around the genitals, mostly. I mean, it moves up into the liver too, but it's big dynamic areas around the genital area. So stimulating the liver channel can help genital issues. The kidney is uh, related to the brain, spinal cord. So by stimulating the kidney, you can often get effects on mental clarity or you know headaches, issues in the head. Spleen goes to about the area of the stomach. So that can often help with digestion and if the chest feels blocked, right? The opening to that usually is down through the stomach. The bladder again moves up into the head so that can help with issues in the head. And the gallbladder, though it runs all the way into the head, the channel in this area seems to really affect the sides of the body more. So our ability to stretch and be loose and turn and pivot, like this is more of a gallbladder type thing. And then if you move specifically to the heel of the body, there is some extraordinary vessels that connect into the heel. The usually I think referred to as the mobility vessels. So by stimulating the ankle, sometimes that can help with some issues of mobility. Next, after we move from the feet, we'll get into the joint spaces because I think the joint spaces are something that's really important in Chinese medicine because they're big hollow spaces where things can get stored. So we would get to the first space or the first major joint of the body as the ankle. And in this area, this is where 
in the classics, they describe this energetic yang energy moving down and into the body so that we can rest and sleep. So often by stimulating the ankle area, the theory is that you could help stimulate someone's ability to sleep. And then two points that I just want to reference in this area of the foot is kidney three and liver three. These channels, when you look into their usage, literally seem like they could do anything to heal the body. Now in practice, it doesn't work quite that way, but the idea that they could stimulate and help anything in the body does exist within the theory of these points. Next, I wanna move into the section above the ankle. So we're talking from the knee to the ankle. In this area, we just get localized channel issues. So anything in area that hurts there, you can just use the local channel to help affect that. And then we also start to reflect. So if the very bottom of the channel affects the most distal part of the channel, then as we get closer to the center, right, the opposite side also starts to move closer to the center, if that makes sense. But so when we move into the legs, the bottom of the body is the more yin section of the body. So the idea here is that even, even in just looking at human disorder, right, we get a lot of edema and swelling that happens in the legs when people are say inactive or they're having circulation issues. The Chinese just say this is a yin aspect of the body. So yin is always settling below, which is the fluids. And by touching these areas, like I said before, we're stimulating movement. So we're pulling either yang from above to below to mix, which should help circulate some of that swelling and edema and help in those areas. And then again, we get common things here. So if you work the water channels, usually will benefit the lower back area here. Uh, if you work gallbladder, it uh, really affects the necks and flanks in this area. And stomach in this area is really strong for digestion. There are two points that literally go to the small intestine and large intestine, um, which again shows how strong some of the digestive movements can be adjusted through this area. Some interesting points here are bladder 58, which can be used to deal with hemorrhoids, spleen eight, which is good for menstrual issues. Bladder 39 can be used for urinary issues and liver eight is good for issues of the knee. And then we have two points again that seem to reflect that if you were to use them, you could heal anything in the body. And those are spleen six and stomach 36. So from there, of course, we have the knee. And again, I just think of general ideas of clearing the joint spaces is important. So working around the knee can help any issues of the channels that are blocked, you know, above or below. I think of, I think of the joints sometimes as like gateways for movements either above or below. So by opening these gates, um, often by joint manipulation or using points above and below or even working within those spaces can help really clear up a lot of issues of the channels being able to freely move and communicate with each other. And that goes with all the joints. I won't keep referencing this for every joint, but just know ankles, knees, hips, wrist, elbows, and shoulders, all are very powerful pathways that can easily get blocked due to the, the spaces that they inhabit. So now we move above the knee into the thighs and hips. And again, as we get closer to the center of the body, the chest and abdomen, 
the areas they affect get more local. So in the thigh, you tend to affect, you know, generally it's going to be the thigh and hip areas where you're going to be affecting most or what we would call the lower burner, which is the lower abdominal area. But since it's still very yin and we're moving very close to the lower burner, which is the most yin functional aspect of the body, we get this area is good for stimulating blood movement and helping menstrual issues. And when it comes to working with the hip joint and trying to open that, the gallbladder channel actually has a very strong points around the area there. It almost encompasses the whole of the hip. So working with the hip spaces, those are, those are important areas to think about. So when we take a general look at the legs, we're getting this idea of using the below to treat the above. So we're pulling excessive yang from above to mix with the yin below. You know, so we're going to get a lot of issues of swelling and edema or lack of blood flow in these lower extremities. And by stimulating these areas, we're helping to stimulate those, those flows. So next I want to move on to the arms and we'll start again with the most distal points of the arms so the hands. So unlike the legs where we're looking at the, the stagnation of movement where these gathering of fluids, the arms are the opposite. They're more yang, they're above. So they're good at clearing issues of heat. So if the chest is feeling warm or we have more dynamic movements, heat is more of a, a, a heat happens from excessive movement, right? It's like the same as if you take your hands and keep rubbing them together like that consistent friction of movement against each other starts generating heat same thing in the channels there might be a block there but the real issue of heat buildup is from this friction happening over and over again and then as heat does it tends to spread throughout the body and affect a lot of different areas so in the hands we get a lot of areas that help release heat from the from the upper sections of the body but we also get this calming effect that happens with a lot of handwork. And if you've listened to a lot of my other podcasts, you'll I talk a lot about the Shen sitting in the heart space. So this idea of this consciousness of you, right? And this is when that gets too much heat in it or too much yang energy, it tends to feel stressed. You feel uncomfortable. Uh, the term they often use in the classics is the heart is vexed. By treating these distal spaces on the hands we sometimes can open the pathways that are causing the stagnation in the center so that it can then flow out through the through the limbs next uh, we move on to the forearms and the forearms are kind of interesting because the points all on the forearms do seem to have specific organ relations so the lung channel obviously will affect the lung or the spreading of the chi. Large intestine, though it connects to the large intestine organ, rarely affects digestion as well as say the stomach channel would. So this one tends to clear heat again and stimulate movement since it's relation to the lung and the sea of chi by uh, stimulating large intestine, we are helping to stimulate movement and push blocks through the body as you would see as the large intestine would push, say constipation would be a sign of stagnant chi. 
it's interesting to note that one of the reasons that this channel seems to not reflect too much in the digestive system is some of the older texts um, that predate the Neijing. This channel is called the tooth vessel. So it connected to the teeth as opposed to the large intestine. The heart channel calms, which is obviously clear from this idea of finding a center for the shen, the rest, or the spirit. Small intestine, that channel, again, in history, was called the shoulder vessel. So it has a lot of dynamics in releasing the shoulder and the neck, and it, it moves into the ears, so it has an effect on the ears there. The pericardium or heart protector, depending on who's teaching it, they probably call it different things. This is just about mixing blood and chi. Sometimes this is considered the heart, second heart channel. Other times in the classics, they'll kind of refer to it as the sea of chi. This and the triple burner become two channels that are highly contested in thought and purpose um, throughout the ages. So they're a little less defined. Uh, and then we get the triple heater channel in the arm, which was considered the ear vessel in the older texts. So it treats a lot of ear issues. Next, uh, we move into the upper arm. So this is the area above the elbow and goes to the shoulder. So in this area, we get other stuff that starts to move closer to the center and affecting the center more. Uh, a lot of these stimulating this area will help clear up issues in the chest of fullness or, or stagnation and really has a strong effect on the shoulder and scaps. Um, it's important to note that the shoulder can be a big area of, of blockage in people and that two channels that specifically seem to have more effect on the shoulder than any other um, is the small intestine and large intestine. And both of these have divergent channels that run through these areas pretty strongly too. So that's part of the reason why I think they're they have such a strong effect on that area. All right, so next I wanna move on to the neck and head. Um, again, moving from the center out, um, that is a prime theme in Zen Shiatsu is working from the center out as uh, the way I like to think of it is the internal to external, which is one way that Chi has described the move. So we're working from that paradigm and this is the way I'm kind of expressing the ways to use the body. So the neck, I'll move into next. Again, all these channels, if there's a local area that's bothersome, just treating that local area will have an effect. That's for every channel and every part of the body. One thing that I've noticed here with some of the, the neck dynamics when I'm looking through the point dynamics is that the neck seems to be a sort of gateway. Now it's not literally called this anywhere. This is kind of more a perspective I have on some of this idea. Like I already talked about the gateways of the joints, right? I always think of, there seems to be areas in the body where certain movements are allowed to like kind of move through, but then the return movement somehow gets blocked, right? And by pushing on points, we're opening these spaces back up to allow things to move through. So in my mind, the images of a gate that maybe allows something to move through, but when it comes back through the other way, it, it is closed. And the neck, is a big spot for this, right? We get a lot of headaches, a lot of issues in the head. And this is the yang is always freely able to move up because that's the nature of yang. But at times it seems like some of the channels in the neck may close and not allow yang down. 
So by pushing on some of these points, we relieve pressure in the head or open these these channels so that things can move down and away from the things that are bothering us in our head. And again, we talked about how yang moving upward affects the heart. The heart and mind are considered one and the same in some regards. So again, moving energy up into this area of the brain is also kind of the same as a reflection of the heart being affected. So a lot of the dynamics in this area are releasing heat and wind. And wind is considered, again, a yang movement. And again, two points that I think are interesting in the neck are bladder 10 and gallbladder 20. These seem to have, these are common areas that are often sore and tender on a person, especially when they're experiencing some of these, these yang type movements that are affecting them. So from the neck, we move into the head. And I have some opinions on working the head that probably differ from most. Um, the head is the most yang area of the body. So we have a natural tendency for movement to happen there just of the nature of yang. And since when you're working with Chinese medicine, we're always stimulating yang, we tend not to want to overexcite yang. There's a, there's a lot of issues in the classical texts where they talk of too much yang, right? So if we already have a lot of yang up there, which is the natural thing that's going to happen in the head, by stimulating that area more, you're actually increasing the yang there and you would be actually making the issue worse. Now, does that mean that you shouldn't stimulate the face or head to treat issues? That's not exactly what I'm saying. I just think caution should be used. Um, if someone's complaining about specific areas of pain in the face or sensory organs that aren't functioning quite properly, that seems to reflect that there's a block in that area and we do need to stimulate that area to clear the block. But I don't generally stimulate the head and face without purpose because of that uh, idea in the medicine. But the head does give us a few clues as to maybe other areas of the body we may want to touch, right? There's links to all the sensory organs, so the eyes, the liver, the ears, the kidney, you know, the mouth is spleen, the ability to talk, can think of the heart, nose would be lung. You know, these are the general correlations that you can draw from some of the sensory issues. They also have the idea of headaches in the head. Um, again, we can use specific areas that kind of help us differentiate sometimes as to what channel might be causing this counterflow that's creating this pressure in the head. So if we got something on the forehead, you know, that is a strong area of the stomach, but it could also be bladder. The sides of the head are usually considered to be gallbladder. So if you've got a headache on the side of your head and the back of the head is often considered the bladder. So if you've got an occipital headache, then that tends to be bladder. Does that mean that this is 100% true all the time? No, but it's a good starting point. And then an interesting point on the head is do 20. It's at the crown of the head. So next we'll move into the chest. And all the points in this area are usually just about letting the chest open and spread. 
So that is one of the functions of the lung is to bring in chi along with mixing the chi from the stomach and dispersing it through the whole body. So when this area tends to see, feel full or blocked, the idea is usually there's a lack of dispersion through the whole body. So by stimulating this area, we are opening up the musculature and the organ function to help disperse. So common issues in this area might be a feeling of fullness in the chest. If somebody might be coughing a lot, clearing their throat, or they might have what they would say is a troubled heart. And in a classical, this idea of upward movement that doesn't move down is considered rebellious chi. So if you ever hear that term, it's also a way to get the flow properly moving downward in the body if it's stuck in this area. A couple points of interest here is lung one, which is one of the rare points that actually connects straight into the organ and has a direct effect on that organ's function. Spleen 21 is interesting just due to some of the references of what that point is in the classics. Ren 17, though, in the book I referenced, didn't have anything that I would consider special about it. I use this point a lot to help connect with someone heart to heart. And also is a point that is considered to be connected with the Sea of Chi. And lastly, stomach 12. Again, doesn't have many dynamics as far as point treatment goes, but it is a point where all the channels from the neck enter into the deeper parts of the body. So opening that area can be important for letting the free flow of chi into the internal organs as it's one of the points on the outside of the body that we can use to open up pathways inside. And then the other point that also has an entry point in the chest is gallbladder 22, I believe is what it is. And it's right below the armpit. That is also another pathway that is described as having a lot of channels that move inward at that point. Next, we move on to the abdomen. And in the abdomen, there's a lot of dynamics that happen here. The abdomen is broken up into three sections, generally. So you could think of, if you can locate your belly button, and you locate your sternum or the bottom of your sternum, you find the halfway point between those. So that halfway point, everything above that halfway point will be the upper section. That's how I'm going to call it. Everything below that halfway point to the belly button, we'll call that the middle section. And then everything below the belly button to the pubic area, we'll call the lower section. So in this upper section, we get a lot of the same dynamics that are working in the chest. And I guess I should clarify, so part of how I'm delineating the abdomen from the chest is everything below the diaphragm to me, I'm going to call the abdomen. There are some rib spaces or some ribs that will sit in this area, so it's not just the soft parts of the abdomen that I'm talking about. So in this upper part, we can, again, help with rebellious chi. So this is close to the stomach. Both the heart and the lung connect into the stomach. So by opening the stomach in this area, we again open up another gate that may allow chi to move downward if that gate is closed. And again, if you're working specifically on the center line in the front of the body, this seems to have a greater effect on the heart too. So if someone's experiencing issues of the heart, this is a good area to just kind of gently touch and, and, and stimulate. So we move into the middle section then. We get another spot of the body that allows movement down. So again, it helps with rebellious chi. So if anyone's feeling fullness above in the chest or right below the diaphragm, working in this area 
can help open again that gateway down. And this area can also help with stagnant chi, which can be reflected with constipation. Um, so this, this can be a good area to stimulate if someone's constipated as well. Now there's an interesting point that lies between this middle section and lower section and that's stomach 25. This has a strong influence on the body as well. And I believe that probably has to do with this idea that it's kind of sitting below the lower and middle burner in a sense. Now the bottom section, this is the area below the belly button. This area stimulates a lot of, a lot of key movements in the body. So the lower burner, just like the legs, is where things tend to settle. So by stimulating this area, we are stimulating movement really throughout the whole body. It's related a lot to issues of the kidney. And then if you're familiar with this idea of Ming Men, the fire in the water, this is also stimulating that area as well. By stimulating here, we're stimulating the original chi, so the chi of your creation. Like we could talk of this as ancestral chi. Sometimes is how it's referred. It's the chi that was given to you by your mother and father at birth. This is your limited chi. But by stimulating this area, we can help that chi disperse. And often I think of this chi as more fundamental in the construction of your body might be the way to say it. Right, if you stimulate these yuan points in the arms, I often think of it as you're kind of resetting the channel and then letting the body kind of redefine how that channel should be moving. And then we also get this idea of the Ming Men, which is the fire in the water. So I view this area as if you've got systemic issues of chi movement or excessive fluid, right? This area is kind of like where you can fine tune. I don't believe you can just touch these areas and be like, I want more yang to move around the body. I need more fluids to disperse through the body. But through the body's innate knowledge, if there's an issue here, by stimulating these areas, you can either stimulate the body to respond properly by either providing the proper yang out to the areas that are lacking it or providing the proper, proper fluids out to the areas that are lacking it. In this area, they also give it the power of dissolving masses in the body sometimes. So again, it's the same idea of stimulating movement. We've had this extreme stagnation with a mass. That's what a mass would be Chinese medicine wise. And by influencing this fire, right, we allow it to dissolve or spread and, and open. And then of course we get issues that would be common to that area. You can help with issues of menstruation, genital issues, and then prolapse, because prolapse often happens in this area of the body. You could think of like a hernia, hemorrhoids, uterus, any other kind of organ prolapse can usually be helped by stimulating this area. And then again, there's another interesting point in this area, which is stomach 30, which again is another one of those entry points where a lot of channels move internally into the body. There's an interesting section of the body between the front and back, so the sides. This is usually where liver and gallbladder tend to have more dynamics. But it, one interesting thing I've noticed between stimulating some of these points on the side is that it helps with the tensegrity of the system, um, which in Chinese medicine you could probably call the girdle vessel. It's one of the rare channels that moves horizontally through the system as a whole channel. Um, otherwise, it's just the 
the low network that's usually moving horizontal and usually just very locally. But this one can have a very profound effect on the tension in the body in this area, I guess would be the way to say it. So lastly, we're going to move on to the back of the body. The back is an interesting area because unlike the front where channels don't necessarily move all the way from the foot to the head, some of the yin channels stop in the center. On the back, there's only two channels that run at least in a way that we can stimulate them. And it's bladder, which runs from all the way from the top of the head to the bottom of the feet. And then we have the governing vessel is what some people will call it. And that pathway can be a little, you could argue that pathway a little bit in some of the classical texts. But for the, sex, for the sake of the reference points I was using, this is going to be directly along the spine. And it's for this reason that I believe if you were going to give one treatment without a diagnosis and you had limited time, the back is the area of the body where you can have the most influence in the shortest amount of time. The channel is easier to access. The lines are easier to, to feel and move through. So they can have the most profound effect if you have a limited amount of time to work with somebody. The interesting thing with the points on the back too is all along the spine, there are points that are said to move internally to each organ. So along the spine, we get a lot of points that connect directly to organs and adjust those functions. It is always important to note that not every issue in the body is an issue of organ function though. So don't just assume the organ dysfunction is the reason for the problem in the body. So let's start along the back in the, the neck area, the upper back around C7 or the cervical vertebrae number seven. That's what C7 stands for. So in the neck, these points in the neck are really about expelling external pathogens and increasing our defense against external pathogens. So this seems to be an area of weakness in the body in Chinese medicine, meaning that when outside sources, they'll say wind strikes the neck. This is why they usually recommend wearing scarves or covering the back of your neck. It's just a weak point in the body and structurally it's weak. Um, as a martial artist, if I'm trying to influence someone's balance through say an Aikido movement, a lot of those subtle ways I adjust people's balance is by the manipulation of their head. And that's because the neck's so weak, it can't stop that manipulation. My full body weight against the head, the neck's just not strong enough. Someone's going to actually end up injuring their neck as opposed to being able to fight me. Um, so it is just weak structurally. Um, and I think that's part of why they believed that this is an area where outside influences can often affect us most. And it's also the part of our body that we leave exposed the most. We have clothes to cover up all the other parts of our body, but our necks usually are not a priority in most of our clothing. So by stimulating these areas, when somebody's starting to feel sick, this can have profound effects, right? It can expel the cold per se so that their symptoms go away quicker and they recover quicker from a cold. This is before the cold has fully set in. If someone's already in the recovery phase of a, a cold where they're 
knocked on their butt and really can't do much. Simulating these points at that point, it's probably a little late. Like there's that's already worked its way into the system. But if you can catch it early enough, stimulating this area with some heat too can help um, alleviate those things before they get further into the body. Next, we move on to the upper back, and this would be the same as the chest area, so everything above the diaphragm. And again, it pretty much reflects the same issues as the chest. It will help with dispersion, right? The closer you get to the diaphragm, the more it becomes about blood movement, and the higher up on the shoulder blades you get, it tends to be more about chi movement. But in general, it's about, again, unbinding and opening the chest, allowing the heart and lungs to function properly. Then we get to the level of the diaphragm. So there's a point right at the level of the diaphragm. Again, I just view this as a gate that can be opened to alleviate anything that's stuck above. Below the diaphragm, which I'll say is probably, we'll say from the diaphragm down to the free-floating ribs. So not the soft, empty spaces of the back, but the spaces that have the ribs in them below the diaphragm. These tend to affect the middle burner aspect of Chinese medicine more so we're talking about stomach spleen and liver but it's more directly affecting the function of the organ in that area when we move on to the lower section of the back this is the soft areas between the hips and the ribs this area again is very reflective of some of the aspects that we see below the belly button to the pubic bone and this helps again with water dynamics so again you're stimulating Ming men and again we can get this idea of either distributing the proper energy out that needs to be there when it's a systemic issue or getting the fluids dispersed through the body when it's a systemic issue. If it's a local issue, it's better to treat the local area. And usually you can tell if it's systemic by it's affecting all four limbs or it's affecting the body in a very full sort of way instead of just one arm, one spot. Those are more localized issues. And then next we run into the sacral area. So this is the, the physical sacrum. There's a lot of points on the sacrum there and they affect a lot of things. This area is actually very interesting. Um, it will affect a lot of low back pain issues, leg pain issues. So again, we can see this idea of like, there seems to be some sort of mechanism of a gate from the lower abdomen into the legs here. This area on the back is probably the strongest area to affect digestion which is odd, you would think it would be in the soft areas by the intestines, but for the general point dynamics, it seems that the sacral area actually has a stronger effect on digestion in the back area. And of course, this area helps control issues with urination or issues with bowel movements, especially when it comes to the retention or release of, of those muscular functions in the body. It also is strong in affecting genital issues and issues of menstruation. And again, it helps with areas of dampness. Um, again, that would be swelling in more modern day terms probably. And then again, it can help with dispersing some masses in the body. And then lastly, um, the last section of the back that I find interesting to look at is just the spine. So the center line in the back. Again, we're talking about movement of yang up to the brain. So we're talking about a good pathway for essence to move up. So the kidney is related a lot to the spinal cord and brain. Um, the brain is often called the sea of marrow. The kidneys 
are the rulers of the morrow. So there's a strong sense of all the essence of your body that the kidney collects getting moved up through the spine into the brain. So there can be a lot of dynamics here with cognitive function and like memory or clarity issues, right? And one of the things that I found really interesting is especially above the heart. So if you go to the spine and you start to move above the spine from the heart, the points there have a strong dynamic in clarity of the mind, which again shows that strong dynamic of heart and mind as one unit that influence each other. So I just wanted to share all that information. I know this podcast is a little longer than I normally go, but I think this information was interesting. At least it was for me. Hopefully you found it interesting as well. Um, the general theme here though that you can understand is the distal points affect distal areas, right? So head and feet, center and hands, right? Those are the general themes. Again, you're getting the idea of mixing the yang with the yin. So it's a lot stronger, in my opinion, to do a lot of leg work because the tendency for movement is to get stuck above and not stuck below. So leg work will have more effect on general blocks, usually because the tendency is for the movement to move up towards heaven. It's a heavenly movement, so it moves up. And the things that settle, such as water, which you'll see as swelling in the legs or edema, right? This is a natural tendency in the legs most of the time. Um, so stimulating legs by far to me has a more profound effect on a person most of the time than stimulating the upper body, unless you're dealing with particular issues in those areas. And then lastly, I just want to end with this idea that like we talked about all these dynamics and then we've talked about all these other systems, but the really important thing in Chinese medicine is the diagnosis of touch. So using theory and all these ideas can be helpful, but I still don't think what you're feeling under your fingers surpasses any theory. So the, f the sense of feeling that you get when you're touching someone still is the number one thing to follow. Well, as always, I hope this has some benefit to you in life and hopefully, you know, maybe you can help someone you know who has some of these issues. Um, as always, you know, if you're enjoying the podcast, feel free to leave a review. You can always visit my website if you want to contact me or just learn a little bit more about me, um, justshiatsu.com. And as always, I hope you have a wonderful time in life and hope I see you again. Thank you.